So if you have been a longtime listener and fan of the podcast, you know that we just celebrated the one-year anniversary back in May. It blows my mind that I've been doing the show for that long, and it's absolutely incredible. I, I love every aspect of it. I love everybody that I get to talk to, and I love sharing everybody's story and all of this information and all these ideas and different ways of thinking and moving and living and really just existing in this uh, thing that we call life. So if you're a fan of the show and you haven't yet, be sure to share it with somebody, tell somebody about it, go to our Facebook page, give it a like, share the Facebook page, do all that kind of fun stuff, just because it helps us grow and expand, which is kind of the end goal. It's simply just a matter of wanting to reach more people so that they too can enjoy all these wonderful interviews that I get to do. Easiest way to find us and all the different places that you can listen is energyislovepodcast.com. Go do it now. This wonderful, beautiful episode of the podcast is brought to you by Essential Oil Accessories. So there's a lot of essential oil companies, brands, types, um, natural oils, all sorts of different things out there in regards to the realm of essential oils. And if you are the type of person that uses them on a regular basis, whether it is in meditation or day-to-day life, maybe you use them for your family. A lot of people use them as alternative healthy ways of living. So if you're that type of person, make sure that you go check out EssentialOilAccessories.com. This is a website where you're going to be able to go and find everything that you could possibly imagine for incorporating and using and benefiting from the use of essential oils. Jewelry, beautiful jewelry that acts as a diffuser, whether it's a necklace or a bracelet. They've got big diffusers that you can put up in your home or the type that you can put in your car. They have storage containers, all sorts of different things specifically designed to help you use with ease all your essential oils. So go show them some love. Go check them out. You can find them on from our website. If you just go to our website, you can click on the Sponsors tab and you can find the link there in case you forget essentialoilaccessories.com. We are also sponsored, as always, by As Above, So Below, the greatest metaphysical shop located in Roy, Utah. Go now, if you live here locally, if you are driving through, mark it on the map and make sure you swing by and say hello. At As Above, So Below, you are going to find everything and anything that you could possibly imagine for your metaphysical, spiritual, expansive journey into the unknown. Everything that you can possibly imagine is going to be there at As Above, So Below. They have tarot cards, clothing, jewelry, crystals, books, incense, medicine, all sorts of different things. And it's a wonderful shop. Amazing people. They also host regular events. And if you go to their Facebook page, you can find all those events and all the links and all the information. It's a great opportunity to get out and network with the community, learn some different things, learn some different ideas, and really just raise your vibration. Go to our website and find their link there under sponsors. And then when you're on Facebook, go check them out and show them some love. When you pop in and say hello, pick up some crystals, pick up some books, some tarot cards, and let them know that you heard about them on the Energy is Love podcast. On today's episode, I got a chat with William Carter. So a while back, a few episodes ago, I always forget how many episodes, I don't remember. It was back in like February or March of this year, maybe January. A few months ago, I sat down with the crew from Zen Float. William was on that episode. If you go to zenfloatco.com, you can learn all about the Zen Float tent and all the amazing things that they do there. 
If you haven't, go back and listen to that previous episode. It's a really, really fun episode. It was William and Shane and Mason from Zenfloat. But I loved getting the chance to meet Will and talk to him some more. And after learning a little bit more about him, I realized that I wanted to have him come back on the show. He's a super spiritual guy, really in tune and really connected. And we had a lot in common, man. We just had a wonderful time sitting down and chatting. And you are going to love this episode. I guarantee it. He is amazing and smart and intelligent. He's an artist. He does all sorts of wonderful different things. And we got to dive into a lot of different topics and ideas and thoughts and just a kick-ass episode. Will is also part of the Shane Train podcast. If you haven't heard of that yet, go to whatever form or fashion it is that you listen to podcasts and search out the Shane Train podcast. It's Will, it's Shane, it's Mason, and they are putting out wonderful, wonderful episodes. A lot of fun stuff, a lot of thought-provoking stuff. If you go and listen to the very first episode of the Shane Train, I guarantee you are going to walk away a different person. It makes you think about your own life in such a way that challenged me immensely. Go to shanetrain.com and listen to that podcast where you'll hear Will on every episode. He does a great job. And go to Zenfloat co that's zenfloatco.com and for now you just get to sit back and relax and enjoy this incredibly wonderful thought-provoking deep funny kick-ass just a great episode absolutely loved it thank you will and everybody now turn it up and enjoy and listen to this great episode of the podcast for universe with william carter here we go you're listening to the Energy is Love podcast. Energy is love. The Energy is the love podcast. The Energy is Love podcast. Energy is love. The Energy is Love podcast. The podcast for the universe. The Energy is Love podcast. I should ask you, you're good on time, right? Yeah, I'm okay. good. Good, good. Did enough work earlier. I can sit back and relax now. Perfect. Have well, a Jameson. This talk. is it, man. Yeah. Well, thanks for having me. Thank you very much for taking the time. I really, really appreciate it. I, uh, from what I heard from everybody when we first talked, and, and you know, that was the first time that I was ever on a podcast. Well, you guys had recorded some episodes at that no. point, right? No, we hadn't done anything. Really? So th- that was pre-Shane Train. Seriously, I thought yeah. you guys, because as I listened to the show, it sounds like you guys have been fucking recording for quite some time. No, I'm glad you said that, though, because I'm a complete buffoon when it comes to uh, trying to learn how all this stuff is. <laughs> No, you came in and you were going to interview Shane and then Mason and I were sitting on the couch and you were like, why don't you be a part of it? And then suddenly you get that like gut feeling of like, oh shit, yeah. this is happening. It's so, fun though, huh? I had a really good time. Yeah. I, I found myself uh, more willing to share to a stranger, if you will, than I I thought I was going to. Like I felt instantly comfortable. Yeah. And Shane liked the fact that we were doing this because he was like, you two just hit it off. So, and they could tell, and even Mason was like, okay, you guys have got to talk more. Yeah. So. Well, I like, I mean, cause we had never met before. Yeah. Um, I guess first off, everybody go back and listen to the episode with Zenfloat. I, I don't remember how long ago it was. It wasn't too long ago, but. Was it last, uh, October? No, no. Are you sure? No, it was this year. It was like January, February, somewhere around there. Okay. I'm way off on time then. Maybe we had recorded. No, we were just that week. We were going to start the Shane train. You were going to start recording. That's what it was. Yeah. Spin that for me so it's positioned kind of in front of you. So that was my first attempt. That's oh, there good. we go. That's better. Um, yeah. So go back and listen to that episode because you'll hear Will on that episode. And now he's on this episode. And yeah. the reason being is because I, I felt like we did kind of connect in a way. And I really related with some of the things that you talked about and 
granted we didn't get a chance to go into a ton of different things in during yeah. that episode but we covered a lot of cool stuff and it's we, a good episode <laughs> you made a really funny comment uh, i think it was via email where i was a bit more of a hippie than i let on <laughs> and it got me thinking i was like well i used to wear hemp and i attempted to follow fish for a while and i lived i mean is that what classifies you as a I hippie i think that would definitely okay put you in that category I had some stinky birkenstocks i wouldn't take <laughs> off for a long time so <laughs> well i've been listening to your guys this show yeah and you first off it's a great show Thank you. Um, anybody that hasn't heard about it, it's the Shane Train podcast. Go find it. Uh, we'll throw links up during this episode I so people can that. find it and everything like that. But it's a good show. You guys are doing a good job. I love it. We weren't sure. Yeah. You know, it was one of those. I mean, you heard, you listened to the first episode. Mm hmm. And that was pretty nerve-wracking to put out there because we knew we were going to get, we, we get crap all the time because we use the word raw. And I love the word raw because instinctually you're thinking, okay, this is going to get this is going to get either vulgar or this is going to get into it quickly. And from the very first episodes, what we wanted to do, mm -hmm. we were like, okay, everybody's faced these, some life and death, some, I don't know if I can continue. And then for us, it was a success story of, we've been in this really dark place. We put all this work in and now we're here. So I'd be a fool and a hypocrite if I didn't talk about it. That first episode, <clears throat> Like uh, when you guys, is, when it came out and I started listening to it and I've listened to all of your episodes. Thank you. But that first episode when that came out, um, I didn't quite know what to expect and I won't give away too much to people, but it's definitely like, it's a pretty damn good first episode of a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of times I think when people do podcasts and they start creating it and putting it out there, yeah, um, undoubtedly they get into it, excited about it, but then they use like the first five, the first 10 episodes to kind of find their niche and find what they're doing. Yeah. But that first episode's really, really powerful. It's really, really good. It's some, like you said, it's raw, it's deep, it's, it's really exposing type stuff. And, um, I loved it. Like I was on the edge of my seat, even though I probably listen while I'm driving, but <laughs> it was good, good stuff. Mason, uh, what was funny, <clears throat> not even funny. It got real to me in the middle of recording. Um, we were talking about uh, one of the questions that was given to Shane because we had to edit that. We got threatened of a lawsuit. So if we played the original way that we wanted to play it, we would have been sued and there'd be no more Shane train. So we were like, okay, how can we get around this? So it was like, okay, so let's manipulate a little bit and then we'll just tell what the question was and then you'll hear Shane's answer. And the conversation about suicide came up. And some people that's, I mean, everyone, I think we, you know, everyone's probably been in a circle where they've experienced that, especially more nowadays. And Mason asked me, have you been there before? And I had that, oh shit, like, what do I, <laughs> okay, I've got family listening to this. My daughter's going to listen to this. Mm -hmm. And then suddenly that's where the whole hypocrite thing came up because I, I want to be vulnerable enough for people where they can either uh, learn from my mistakes or they can know that I'm open enough that when I give advice, I'm, I'm at least being genuine. You don't have to take the advice, but at least I'm being genuine. So he asked me, have you been that close? And I admitted to him. I was like, not only have I been that close, I've tried to drink myself into suicide in the bathtub. So if anything, I was being a chicken shit about things. <laughs> I wasn't like even owning up to that. But yes, I've been that close. And then it was funny because he looked at me and he said, hit pause, like, like stop recording. Yeah. And so I hit pause and I was like, is everything okay? And he's like, we don't have to put that out there. <laughs> and then I was like, well, shit, it's already out there. Why wouldn't I want to, why wouldn't I want to put it out there? Yeah. 
And then, you know, I haven't even gone back and listened to that first episode yet. Haven't you? No. Not no. since it's been released? I was really weird to listen to my own voice. I go home and I'm like, God, I am a goofy fucker. Yeah. But then, you know, you have friends that you haven't talked to in a long time. They're like, oh, you're really good at what you do. So you get a little bit of validation there. But yeah, I've had a hard time listening to my own voice. Yeah. I don't listen to, because I go back and I have to edit all these episodes. And so I listen to them all after we get done recording and I put it all together. And then yeah. once it finally goes out... I'll jump on real quick and make sure that nothing fucking happened in the uploading of it. Yeah. But I don't go back and listen to a lot of them. And in the beginning when I started, same thing, like I had a hard time listening and I would think about all the things that, you know, I did wrong <laughs> and what I said wrong. And yeah, but the, the thing that you bring up and the way that you were um, honest in that experience and during that first episode and talking about suicide and everything like that, I think it's massive. And for well, me, thank you. when I, over the course of doing this podcast, like we're, we just had our year anniversary. That's amazing. It's, it's, it is amazing from like my perspective. It just blows my mind that I've been doing it for a year. But, um, so much of what I wanted to put out and what I wanted to do was truth yeah, and honesty. And I would seek out guests and I would try to find people that were going to be real about experiences, both good and bad. Right. Or you would hope they were. Yeah. And I've had, that's the goal. That's the goal. And I would yeah. have episodes where people, um, I'd be in the middle of the conversation, we'd be recording and I could just tell by the way they were talking and behaving and the way that they were describing things, they were full of shit. Yeah. That they were just painting the picture that they wanted people to see. It's awkward. It is awkward. It's yeah. really hard to it's talk painful. about real stuff. Yeah. But it's necessary. Yeah. Because I think people do learn from it. And I think at the end of the day, like for me, Will, this is what I try to do in almost every aspect of my life. And it's really challenging. And there's times that I fail and there's times that I succeed really, really well at it. Okay. I try to be just honest and truthful across the board. And so regardless of whether it's that difficult question that somebody asks you, okay. whether it's the, uh, the, the right choice that has to be made, um, even internally within yourself, being truthful with the way that you move through life and the decisions that you make and the experiences that you have. If I can always strive for truth and honesty... I find that it suits me and it serves me much, much better. Yeah. And then also I like to think about how I'm displaying that. And I always okay. take it back to my kids and how, um, you know, I want them to be truthful. Yeah. Like, you know, you question them or you have an issue with your child or something like that and you want them to be honest with you where they can feed you full of shit and paint a picture that they want their parents to see. <laughs> and they're mini you, so they're exactly. really good at it. Exactly. Yeah. And so I always try to do that. I always try to express truthful and honest. And over the course of doing the podcast, I've had episodes where I do really good at that. Okay. And then there's other episodes where I totally fake it and totally have uh, painted the picture that I thought people wanted to see. Or yeah, I always think about that listener that's out in the middle of nowhere. And I'm like, <laughs> what does that guy want to hear? What do, yeah. you know, what are they tuning in for? But I've gone through that a few times. We've had some guests that I thought would really have delivered and then you get them on and you get them talking and you're like, oh, okay. You start thinking about every, like you were saying, like that one person in the boonies. Mm -hmm. And you're like, I really got to up this. But then you don't want to up it because they're on for a reason. And then what we realize, like on our, park, on our podcast is, I really don't care if anybody listens. And I know that sounds so <laughs> like, <clears throat> you know, that, that's like horrible marketing right there. Like, I don't care if you listen. But in reality, I really don't. I mean, I... The, the the three of us put together, it's such an interesting dichotomy because you've got Millennial Mason 
and you've got Shane who has the way that I the way that I tell his stories he's a survivor he went through so many scenarios and it was through self-sacrifice also through self uh it, in essence he hurt himself and he did that for so long until he was done with it and then he graduated to a new way of living and what he's trying to do now is uh, benefit those around him so I take it from a very personal aspect with me that he in essence he saved my life because I look at the path that I was on, I look at where my headspace was, the value that I saw in myself, and what he's done for me is really helped take that and put it constructive. Like those self-doubts are still there, those, those you know, I can't sleep at night because I'm being too analytical and too cerebral and I can't let this go. And it could be the littlest thing, but I can't let it go. So when we get into the podcast, I realize it's just three guys having a conversation. You know, we might be talking to an ex-prostitute or we might be talking to an alien investigator, but I still don't care if anyone listens. Yeah. Because it's like it's cheaper than a therapist and it feels good. You know, it, it's a way for us to celebrate the end of the week. Mm-hmm. So I, I I hear you on that, of, of that, that genuine, because I, I had to ask myself the first couple, like, am I being genuine? You know, how can I... How can I do my daily life and then come be raw on mic? And and anybody out there in the world can download this and listen to my voice. And I already think I'm annoying as shit. So <laughs> I, I, now I've got millions of people. And that's, you know, I mean, I hope millions of people, uh-huh. right? But now I've got millions of people thinking, okay, this guy's way annoying. You know what I mean? But we haven't gotten much hate mail yet. I mean, I want more hate mail because that's when you know you're doing something well. <laughs> So has the response been pretty good so far though? Yeah. Yeah. Um, some of the best that we've had, especially after that first episode, because we got pretty raw. Mm-hmm. Um, we got a, an email from a gentleman who works at a children's prison or juvenile prison. Mm-hmm. And he said, I'm really happy that there are a group of men out there that are willing to talk about emotions and willing to talk about being real and going through depression, going through being attacked in real life and taking it home and actually finding a value place in that. And so he just thanked us to keep on doing what we're doing. And so that for me was just like, okay, if I hold back or if I reserve something, then I'm not doing what I've been telling everyone in my life to, to do. You know what I mean? Because when I, you know, we've all got friends that call and they're like, okay, what's your opinion on this? Or what do you want to do with that? And you usually tell them the best it's like you, you save the best information for them. And you're like, okay, you, you're a dreamer. You're a builder. Go build something. Go yeah. dream something. But then when you look in your own mirror, you know, after you get off the phone, you're like, I'm a schmuck. You know, what am I doing with my life? You know, yada, yada, yada. And there's just all, all these excuses that we wouldn't give anybody else, but we give ourselves. And so for me, it was a, a great way to, I get to cut through all that. You know, I put the... I put the mic on, I put the earphones on, and I start playing with dials, and I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to be me. And I think that's where that's where the I don't care if anyone listens kind of comes from, because if if I worried more about, oh, am I going to lose family members off of Facebook because I said the F-bomb 15 times on the last podcast, yeah. then I don't think I'm doing it for the right reasons. You know what I mean? Yeah, I really, like for me in the beginning, and my wife was really, really good about this, like I went nuts in the beginning. Like yeah. I put out as many episodes as I could. I became overly obsessed with it. It kind of became everything that I could think about, worry about, stress about, focus on, just divulged a ton of time and energy into it. Yeah, Way past that. the point of balance where anything was normal or healthy. It was way overloaded. Oh, okay. And then um, 
I got to the point where like I was getting burned out doing it. Uh, I was getting stressed about doing it. It wasn't fun anymore. Um, and she had to really help me. My wife's great about helping you with all sorts of different things, but she had to really remind me about how, like, why are you doing the podcast? What do you, you know, what is the original intention of it? What are you really, um, hoping to do with it? And like, what's the purpose of it? And I mean, really the purpose of it is simply just, um, it's kind of self-satisfying in a sense because I get to learn from everybody that I get to sit in front of everybody that I've ever talked to on the podcast. I get, I gleam something from some different perspective or way of looking at my own life. Okay. And then I love the idea that somewhere out there, somebody listens and just one little thing is sparked. I don't care what it is. Do you know what I mean? Oh, Oh yeah. Just some little thing that they're going to take away from the episode and think about for the next half day or the next two days or whatever the case may be. I love that idea. And that for me is enough. I like that. I like that because that's, that's advice that I can take. I mean, those are things that I can take and use as tools even for me. Cause we're, I mean, you, you know, you've got a lot more under your belt than we do and we do something different. So we record them all and then we release them. And so we're not like a record and then release in that same week. And yeah. so there's a bit more, if I go back and listen to something that we recorded, you know, a month and a half ago, two months ago, my mentality might be completely different. Mm-hmm. So it, it's really walking a fine line of like, okay, <clears throat> I've got to be genuine and I've got to be here in the moment. But then we do goofy shit. Like you heard Five Shot Friday where, <laughs> you know, our whole goal was to make sure that Millennial Mason was just plowed off with five shots. And then you heard Shane and I like, oh, the bottle's gone. We were already on 10 <laughs> shots. We probably could have gone to 15. So there's a selfish release there that I, that I, you know, I think that's good though, because I think that that displays and shows the importance of balance in life, right? Yeah. Like if we all just sat around in our stoic nature of focusing on truthful and honest uh, interaction with everybody and being focused in regards to how I'm going to move through life in such a, you know, conscious way. Yeah. It's wonderful and it's beneficial and it's very, very important. But at the same time, we have to have the ability to relax and we have to have the ability to kind of decompress and yeah there's balance in all of those different types of things and so i think it's perfectly fine that you guys have you know and those episodes are fun like yeah. as a listener it's enjoyable to sit there and listen to you guys get drunk and fuck around yeah. and just enjoy and that's what each other's is. company it's pure I mean? fuckery mm-hmm. and that's good yeah i'm thankful because i didn't allow myself so all those things that you balanced out that you just listed that we need i didn't do that for a long time and that's when i think my start of my own personal revolution if you will was i started painting and I think we touched a little bit lightly. We did. And I've heard you talk about it. So, and that's one of the things. Cause yeah. Like, like I said, I, I told you, like, you're way more fucking hippie yeah. and spiritual than you let on when we yeah. did the interview back in the day. Mason gives me a lot of shit for that. <laughs> Every once in a while, he'll be like, shut up, hippie. All the way down to like, you know, don't kill the plant, man. That plant's got feelings too. And that, that might be a bit more. Yeah. And it, it's a sad ass looking plant right now. It's and not it, too bad. It's bad. It's hanging on. Yeah. If that's hanging on, get it a, get an EpiPen or something. <laughs> But yeah, I, uh, I found myself, we, you know, I think the last time we talked, we, you know, we talked to Mason brought up a little bit about, um, death and overcoming death and yes. loss and just the weight of that. And, you know, if you don't process and you don't grieve, it really sticks with you for a long time. And I kind of went the opposite route. I talked a little bit about illness and I went through illness and everything. And that was something for me. I didn't, even after I was healthy and I went through like a surgery process, I didn't allow myself to be healthy. So I kept that you know, with sickness and with loss comes depression. And I didn't allow myself to get out of the depressive state. 
So I was thirsty and looking for something that could, you know, the, the proverbial two by four to the head, you know, something that just gave me that aha moment. And it, it, I had to start very, very small, very, very small. And that's when I found painting. Like that's one of mine over there on the wall. So it's just a bunch of, I found a way to use colors to express. And I, I, uh, I got other people involved with painting and other people involved in. So tell me, like, had you had, um, any experience prior to that, any sort of like expression of your artistic, you know, outlet or anything like that? No, I think the only real outlet I had, uh, when I was 18, I had a TV show. And uh, we played music and ran a dating service on live TV, which was, <laughs> I mean, obviously it's not something you do normally in Pocatello, Idaho, of all places. But that was my only real, um, I mean, I sang in a couple of bands, but that was like high school, you know what I mean? So mm-hmm. nothing really, as far as a creative, uh, I song hopped, you know what I mean? I, I made albums, like music compilations for people. But in the creative realm of like, I mean, I've been working on a book you know, since I was 15, but I never looked at that as like a creative endeavor. It was just something that's always been a part of me. Yeah. But as far as painting and things that came out of necessity, my daughter got invited to Europe and I was in restaurants and it was like, how can I come up with, you know, nine grand to send her for 21 days? Uh, How can I come up with this money out of just, you know, out out of nothing? So I was like, shit, what can I do? What can I do? And then it just hit me. Well, why don't you just attempt to paint some stuff and see if you can sell it? And that's kind of where these, you know, these paintings and these kind of inspirations came from. Were you able so, to create stuff and sell it? Yeah, I got really lucky. So we ended up, <clears throat> I knew a bar owner who was like, okay, I see your stuff. If we want to do a fundraiser night, come down and we'll do it like a gallery showing. Mm-hmm. And so we did a really, really big fundraiser, had a lot of fun. And we raised $2,700 in one evening just off of my own art. And then we did another one and we didn't raise shit on the second one. Which I'm, I'm actually, I was really upset then because I still needed more money to get it to go. <laughs> um, but in hindsight, I'm really happy because I felt that pain of like, oh, I put my heart and soul into this. And obviously there's a derivative for it and a driving force to paint and everything. But I really, I got emotional inside of this piece and these colors are this and just, you know, everything I guess that artists do. I don't, I'm not an artist, but I love to paint. <laughs> and uh, no, you know, no one came. And so I was like, okay, am I going to half-ass this too? Is this just something that I fell in love with to do? And then am I just going to let it fall to the wayside? And because of that, thankfully now, because no one showed up, I decided, you know, every other Saturday, as much as I possibly can, I'm going to go in my garage and I'm just going to throw paint. You know, one day I try to be a Mark Rothko, the next day I'm a Jackson Pollock. And it's been the only real way that I can balance out everything that I do because it has nothing to do with me. You know what I mean? When those colors end up on canvas or whatever medium we're trying to use or I'm trying to use, it's, it seems to, it seems to match the part of my head that I don't want to go to, you know, like those masks, I guess, you know what I mean? You convince the rest of the world that you're doing really well when you shake hands and you give your support, but there's always those lingering thoughts that uh, you don't really want to dive into because that's the scary place or that's the accountable place. Would you find yourself diving into those places when you were painting? A lot, a lot. And a lot of it had to do, I would even find myself when I was working on certain pieces, the kind of music that I would play. You know, if I was in a a more of a a balanced place, I'd put on like Chopin, you know, and I'd play some classical and I'd find myself really immersed in, I don't know, inspiration. Mm -hmm. I mean, the best way to put it. But then, then there'd be times I'd be like, I'd find myself angry inside 
just at anything that was going on in the world or circumstance and I'd put on Slayer and I'd paint a Slayer and then to be like, okay, this is completely backwards of what I should be <laughs> painting to. You know, I've got death metal on and, and here I am trying to make this like beautiful art, artsy piece. But it, it, it allowed me to realize um, that, that I'm complex, but everyone is complex. You know, you don't feel as alienated. And then you have that realization that I've been doing this to myself. Like I've been pulling back. You know what I mean? These close people around me or even these loved ones, I've been the one that stepped back. You know, not in essence like I'm blaming people for not being as close. It's being accountable that maybe I've reserved something that I think I'm only capable of dealing. And that's like pure bullshit. Like that's the fuckery that I want to deal with on the podcast because that's from that first episode you realize like I'm not the only one who's had these really dark thoughts. I'm not the only one who, you know, in the middle of church thinks like screaming fuck shit really loud in the middle of sacrament. I'm not the only one who thinks these things. So yeah. I'm, I'm more normal than I ever thought I was, which makes me feel more inclusive and more ready to, for lack of better terms, evolve. I think we always tend to think that we're the, we're so unique and we're so special. Yeah. And everybody is, right? Everybody's its own little unique, yeah, special I'm a, I'm a rainbow. Like, I don't yeah, know about you. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but at the end of the day, we're super common. And yeah. do you know what I mean? The, not necessarily on an individual basis, but the things that we experience in life, I think are very, very common. I think humans as a whole repeat similar patterns. Uh, the way we interact with not only people, but also our environment yeah. becomes very, very common and similar. And so we're bound to have commonalities between each other and similar thoughts and experiences and just the things that we've gone throughout in, yeah. in our life. I think nine times out of 10, somebody's going to be able to relate to it. Yeah. But how are they going to know that unless we share it? Right. Yeah. See, and that was it for me as I just did the whole button of the lip for a long time. You know, I ended up giving the generic response for so long. You know, and I was in restaurants for a long time. So you give a very canned response that works over and over and over. And then you know you're going to get the same reaction. So mm -hmm. you, you don't even have to guard against it anymore. You just know you're going to get the same thing. I used to, because I used to wait tables too. I used to work in restaurants a lot. I used to think yeah. of it like scripts. Like I had specific oh, totally. lines and scripts that I would use for not, you know, not only your opening, hello, welcome to blah, 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 whatever. Yeah. But also in response to anything that they would throw at you. Yeah. Because the customer <laughs> would never throw anything at you that was kind of completely brand new. Yeah. It was always very, very common stuff. So it was just scripts that I had to repeat over and over and over again. Yeah. Did that bleed over into your normal life, <laughs> your non-work life? <laughs> <laughs> I think definitely it did. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think that we probably do that. Uh, I mean, I had a conscious awareness of it because of the work okay. and kind of, you know, just kind of the realization of it. But I think I definitely moved through life that way where yeah. you had, and people do it. This is another thing that I always challenge myself with where one really common one I think that people do across the board is, hey, how are you? Uh, nice to see you. How are you doing? Great. How are you? Like usually it's one very short, yeah. uh, everything's fine. And then I want to direct it back to you. Yeah. So I don't want to really talk about what I'm going through. I'm going to give you the opportunity to talk about what you're going through. Let me hear you. Let me hear you. Yeah. And yeah. then their response is always like, yeah, great. Everything's great. Oh, good. Glad to hear it. And then we move on. Yeah. And so when people would ask me, how are you doing today? Or, hey, it's good to see you. What's going on? Oh, you know, like things are pretty shitty today. Like, you know, I'm struggling in the space of whatever. And I would try that and I would try to challenge myself with that. Yeah. But I found that people 
um, didn't respond to it very well. Yeah, I was going to ask, what's the reception <laughs> of something like that? Do you know what I mean? Because it's so yeah. common for people to just interact in those surface levels. The pre-programmed mm-hmm. response. And then when you would throw something else at them, then they didn't know how to respond or react. And it's not that I was necessarily concerned about how they were perceiving me or what they were thinking. Yeah. It was more or less like a, there was just a lot of awkwardness. Okay. But I still try to do it. Like it's something that I still kind of bring awareness to throughout the day where if I can... Um, do you know what I mean? Just bring awareness to how I respond to those type of yeah. daily things that are so commonplace in our lives. It's a lot of what I'm trying to do now. And, it, you know, I got to give a lot of props to Shane because there's been a lot, you know, I watch him, you know, run a major company mm-hmm. and then here he is running a startup company. And I had to find where do I fit inside of this? You know what I mean? You need me to do this and you need me to do that. Where do I fit? Where can I bring my personality? And so for me, there is a bit more, I'm a bit more accountable now with the way that I position myself because, what's the best way to put it, no one wants to be unloaded on. So I I have to find myself or or I do find myself being more political, but that's even with myself. And so that's even before I speak, I'm giving myself the benefit of the doubt before I, before I speak. So I'm even telling myself that these words have value and you're saying it for a reason. So it's like, no more hiding, no more bullshit. This is how you feel and you're going to speak it. And you thought you should speak it. So it's a good thing to speak it anyway. It's like going with the gut when you spend so many years, you know, ignoring the gut. So, (laughs) so, and the podcast helped, you know, you just kind of cut through it. And then that, for me, that's filtered into so much of my life. You know what I mean? I'm so much more, and I've always been open. Like I've always been the talker and what have you, and that's great. Do you think that that openness and that uh, the the way that you like you describe yourself as always being open and kind of being the talker? Do you think that that in some way, shape, or form was also the way that you kept hidden? Because my guess is you probably weren't yeah. open about all the really deep shit. You weren't really openly sharing some of the things that you were experiencing, or even really connected with some of the difficult things that you were experiencing. It's a really good question. Um, <clears throat> that's even a hard one for me to answer, to be honest. I, I, I gave everyone around me a free pass to, that's going to sound bad, to in essence almost take advantage of me mm-hmm. because I was strong enough or I convinced myself I'm street smart, I'm strong enough, I can get myself through any situation. So if you have to unload or if you have to abuse something, abuse me because I'm strong enough to do it. And I hid inside of that, not playing the victim role, but if, if I was making sure that someone else was okay, I didn't have to acknowledge that something was wrong with me. So I could continue that mask game. I could continue the, I don't have to deal with myself now. I don't have to deal with these thoughts because I can worry about someone else. So the openness now for me is acknowledging, you know, I, I went to a shout out to Discover Leadership, a place that Shane sent me down in Texas. And it's four days. It changed my life forever. Other than the birth of my daughter, it's probably the greatest thing I've ever done. And when I came back, the biggest thing that I realized, one of the biggest things that stuck with me was uh, the whole there's no I in team. And then the realization that there is an I in team. And I am the I in team because if I'm not okay, my team's going to falter. And that sounds all good and hunky-dory. And then you get an image behind it. You're on an airplane. The airplane starts to go down and the oxygen masks fall. And they tell you, put the oxygen mask on you first. And to everyone else, that sounds completely scary because you want to make sure that your kid's okay, that your spouse Uh is okay, that everyone else is okay. Perfect strangers are okay. 
before you're okay. And what people don't realize is within moments, the lack of oxygen, et cetera, et cetera, you're not normal and you can't take care of anybody else. So what I was doing was making sure that everyone else is okay and I was starving myself with oxygen, without oxygen. And I started to punish myself for not being good to me, but I refused to be good to me, which was against everything that I was living. It was against the, the hemp necklace that I was wearing. It mm -hmm. was against the fish song that I was listening to. The advice that you would give to other people. Yeah, I started to feel like a real hypocrite. Yeah. To be completely honest, a real hypocrite. And it, you know, it's been the past couple of years and it's a battle. It's a real battle because I find myself wanting to, I don't want to say overextend, but there are times when you overextend your own energy and you, you have to make sure that your surplus is full. And I didn't do that for a long time. You know, when we talk about painting, that's something that I can do for myself that reinvigorates and it rebalances because it's that... I created that, you know, and I don't care if anyone else likes it or doesn't like it. I decided to do something and I put my energy in it. And here is, here is a product that I can hold. Here's something that's tangible that gives proof to me that I expressed how I felt. You know what I mean? I, I might not have to go tell everybody under the sun how I feel, but as long as I'm acknowledging what's inside of me, I can continue to grow because I still have a hard time. There's still a part of me that doesn't want to... I had this innate feeling that if I shared that something was wrong with me, I would damage somebody else. I didn't In what way? Well, I didn't want them to feel that, oh, you're giving me advice, but you're hurting too. Mm -hmm. It was more of like I wanted them to believe I was bulletproof. So when I gave advice, they could take it and do it. So, so they could actually use it as a catalyst for change instead of like, wait a minute, you're depressed really analytical you're going through anxiety and you might be suicidal and now you're giving me advice i can't believe you see that's like human nature though right yeah because if you if you were if you were to interact with somebody who was in that state yeah and they're giving you advice and initially you're like that you know that really connects and makes sense with what i what i'm going through and what i'm experiencing and everything like that and then suddenly you realize that they're a drug addict and they're homeless and, you know, yeah. last night they tried the to list kill themselves. On. Yeah. Then suddenly you, you, you question that advice. Like, who the hell are they? You know, they don't have their life together in any sense of the word. Yeah. Why are they going to think that they can only, not only give me advice, but why the hell am I listening to it? Yeah. But I think it's that whole thing. Like, who are they? And they don't even have their life together. I think I have, as I grow up and as I continue to mature and evolve and, you know, yeah. move throughout this life, really come to the realization that that whole concept and idea of having your life together is completely out there and yeah. false and fake. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's starting to hit me like a ton of bricks yeah. now that that's, that's just a great illusion, right? I mm -hmm. mean, everybody wants the white picket fence and... I have a I have a white picket fence. No, oh, well then I envy you. Then. <laughs> then then that's it. Let's just shut this down. There's you've holes got, in it. it. It's oh, okay. falling over half the time. I have to remember <laughs> to go out because it's a it's a plastic. What are the um, I can't think. It's not wood. It's that fake shit. The vinyl or yes, whatever. it's a vinyl fence, yeah. and so it'll yeah. pop out, and I have to put it back together. It drives me nuts. So you have it, but it's just a little ugly. Exactly. Then that's an even better metaphor for right? life. Right? And I'm okay now. with that. Yeah, that we all have it. We're just a little bit ugly. I'm okay with that. But ugly yeah. in a good way. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's a good way to put it. I'm starting to embrace my ugliness. See, for me, it was, well, okay, I say that just in complete 
like jest because it makes it, <laughs> it it makes me just kind of I, I took my whole life and put it into a nutshell then because a lot of that hiding came from insecurities from you know a young age and the learned behaviors and the learned thoughts and everything else and you just you find what works for you and you find what mask works for you and you just you wear it and you wear it really well and the idea of being I don't know taking that mask off and showing someone who you really are it doesn't make you not a genuine person because you can be genuine and still have walls. But the thought, the thought of being vulnerable, you know what I mean? Maybe even trusting. I think that's what scared the hell out of me the most. So I was much happier making sure, I don't know, for lack of better, lack of better thoughts, I, I wanted to be a life coach for people rather than, and I was like, okay, I can figure my shit out myself. Let me, let me help you. You know what I mean? Oh, we're climbing up a, a mountain. My legs are sore. We'll hop on my back. Let me piggyback you. So... And now I don't, I don't really want to live that way anymore. You don't want to do that anymore? No, I mean, I still want to help and I'd still carry, but it, it, it caught up with me really quick. I found myself just looking back and going, God, all these years have gone by and I'm not okay. Like, I'm not okay with this scenario and this scenario and this scenario, but I've trained all these people on how to treat me. Like, th this is what I've told them was accept, you know, acceptable and, and I don't like that now. Mm -hmm. So it's. I don't want to have to dig myself out of holes that I didn't want to be in to begin with. So, and you know, like you said, that comes with maturity and acceptance yeah. of self. So do you think that there is ever a point in your life or any relationship or anything like that, that you can think of? And it doesn't necessarily have to be a, a, um, like a romantic relationship, like a girlfriend or a spouse or anything like that, but any yeah. relationship or dynamic in your life where you've ever been, like completely exposed, like all those masks, all those things that we kind of hide behind and the facades that we put on. Have you ever had an experience where you were able to let all of that down? Yeah. Yeah, I have. I mean, I, I've been lucky throughout my life. There's been some pretty key people that have come in and it's felt more of like the gods have put them in my lives, you know, I mean, in a certain situation to remind me that it was okay to be vulnerable. Um, those are the moments that have scared the hell out of me the most. You know, you could... You could tell me I'm giving a lecture tomorrow in front of 500 people and I have to talk about tacos and how they're made and I would be so happy to do it. I mean, I, I don't get fears in that manner. You know what I mean? I don't, I mean, I get anxiety just like everybody else, but I don't, those kind of challenges I don't shy away from, but the, the letting people in, letting people know where I came from, letting people, I think there was embarrassment for a while. I mean, my mom, my birth mother spent almost all of my life in prison and I grew up in a very LDS circle and raised by my grandparents and so at a very very early age I learned that that was not acceptable and you were almost kind of blacklisted if you will if, if a parent had made a wrong decision yeah so I adopted a philosophy for a long time that um, as long as you physically saw me smiling and being okay I gave you the impression that I was okay and life could just continue as we know it. You know, I didn't have to ride any waves, but there are, there are some, there are some very important people that I have that I don't, I don't change for. I, I just, you know, I'm, I'm okay to cry in front of, I'm okay, I'm okay to, if I have just anger on the tip of my tongue, I just express it because it's human and it's human nature and those people I hold dearly and I don't know if I would be. You know, in, in the same respect, they, they're also the only people that I really allow to call me out. You yeah. know what I mean? Those ones where you're like, oh, 
I was being a dick. <laughs> Shit. You know, you don't want to acknowledge it, but when they're like, okay, you need, really need to slow your roll, you're like, oh, I did cross a line and, and uh, I should acknowledge that right now. So. so I got a challenge for you. Okay. Do you think that, that that dynamic, that relationship, that ability to have that kind of openness and, you know, let down all of your walls and all the masks and everything like that, do you think that you are that person for yourself as well? Ooh, no. How funny is that? Because yeah. as you're sitting there talking and I ask you that question, this is the cool thing for me as the host, right? I get all this <laughs> shit that comes through my head. Yeah, you just I'm... saw my face go red and I'm already sunburned <laughs> on the very, very tip of my nose and I think it got even more red. But I'm thinking about, because I always think about my own life because I'm selfish and I'm thinking about all the different <laughs> ways of, you know, those type of relationships that I've had over the years with different people and different dynamics and everything yeah. like that. And you get really open and really raw and exposed. And then I sit there and think, and I'm like, how often do I allow myself to do that with myself? Like how often am I that open and that raw and that accepting and that okay in that space within myself? And I'm like, yeah. fuck, I fell at that all the time. I don't. Plain and simple, I don't. Yeah. You know, and that's even something that my close people talk to me about, of you are way too critical. And I don't know, I mean, I'm learning and I'm getting better at it. You know, the self-talk, the mirror talk, the, you know, the biggest thing that, you know, I was telling you about Discover, another big thing that I, that I held on to, and it's just a simple, it's just WAFO, it's a simple acronym, W-A-F-O, and that's what are you focused on? And lately, you know, and I've only, that's only been imprinted for about a month and a half, but even this, this short time period, six, seven, eight times a day, I have to remind myself, you know the world is not going to end based on this one decision that you're making right now. So you do need to get some sleep. You've got to shut it down. You can't change anything that happened, but I, I am super, super critical and I'm all, almost downright mean, mean to myself. We always are like, over, it's super common. Yeah. Over, over the stupidest of shit, mm -hmm. you know, and, and there, there are even moments where I get so critical. I, I have to ask myself, God, am I agoraphobic? Because I don't want to leave the house. Like I can't let go of a situation. So I almost, it's like I convince myself that I'm almost OCD. Yeah. Like I have to fix it before I move on to something else. But I don't allow myself the mental space of the room to fix it. So it's just like I need this fixed now. Well, if my door handle was broken, I'd call a contractor, right? Or I'd go buy a new, a new door handle. Well, why won't I do that with myself? So your challenge, no. I am absolutely the biggest asshole to me that there is. Well, that's what we have in common. Like we talked about earlier where it's Cheers. like a lot of times, you know, even though we, I think we have so many common things, I think there's a lot of people out there that would probably feel the exact same way. Yeah. Because I feel like, uh, I mean, I use excuses for myself all the time in regards to why I'm not doing this, why I'm not doing that, why I feel like I'm not succeeding here or... Do you know what I mean? I mean, it's even small stuff. Like today I was supposed to mow the lawn and supposed to, like who told me, right? I'm not supposed to. Yeah. But it was my goal and it failed miserably and, and you know. <laughs> and you didn't mow the I lawn. I didn't mow the lawn. Yeah. I took a nap instead. Okay. <laughs> See, and from my side, I'm like, hell yeah, I'm glad you, like, that's good adulting. Like you, you took an adult nap and I'm really proud of you for that. Yeah, but I'm fucking taking a nap every day. Yeah. Well, I I'm an see. old man. I gotta. Okay. <clears throat> when you have those moments, just call me and I'll be like, no, you go, you go nap the shit out of this day. Yeah. That's what you need to do. That lawn's going to grow anyway. It will grow. It, yeah. it is growing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that, um, kind of in my own neuroses, in my own head, right? Yeah. 
I create excuses and then justify my actions because of those excuses where it's like, okay, oh, this is just the way that I am. Yeah. Like I've accepted it. I've understood it. I've picked it apart and dissected it and looked at it and I've attempted to change it. And now I'm just accepting that this is the way that it is. Oh, okay. And there's some things that are, you know, throughout my life, there's been big things where I'm like, this is the way that I am. And like, bullshit. I yeah. can change that. And I'm I have been able that. to, I have been able to evolve that path, you know, past that and things like that. But then there's some things where I just feel like, I don't know if I like give up the fight or I stop caring as much, or I don't know what it is, but there's some things that I just kind of make peace with that there's yeah. certain dynamics of who I am and the way that I move through life that I just accept. See, and that's maybe great that, to hear. Maybe that's, you know, maybe that's a good thing. Yeah. But no, at the same time, maybe that. not be a good thing? But maybe I'm just fooling myself and I really do need to, maybe I'm plateaued and I yeah. have to push past that. Okay. It's like a multifaceted comment. You know what I mean? That's, that's like a multifaceted position because I think, I think this, this mortal plane, it, it's a funny thing anyway. I mean, we, we are such a goofy bastard. <laughs> you know, if you stripped us down and we all walked around naked, we are goofy, goofy looking people. We've got Audis and Innies and all these different parts and we're just goofy. Mm -hmm. So this whole existence is a little bit about, it's like we have to play pranks on ourselves just to get by. I mean, the whole thought of having a nine to five job the, the get up the routine every single day seems to be so against the hunter gatherer tribe mentality. And so it's like we're constantly having to retrain anyway to fit a certain mold. But on the, I, I'm glad that you said, you know, you, you brought up the, this is who I am and this is who I am anyway. Just accept this, this is what I have to bring and this is who I am. And then you commented that you can change. See, I'm the opposite because I so thoroughly believe in change. One of my big pain points are with people that are close to me that have the answer of this is who I am and you're going to have to deal with it. That's harder for me to hear because what keeps me up at night are the, the conversations that I had, the reactions that I had towards people. Because I believe that we are so intelligent and we are so in tune, not only with ourselves, but with another human being that we're smart enough to choose our words. So even, even in a fight, even, even with your spouse and you're having a yelling match, though those can be very, very healthy, we know what we're saying. I, I mean, I, I have a hard time believing that someone says something unless you have Tourette's. <laughs> you knew what you were going to say. Yeah. You, you have the human intelligence to know what you're going to say. And I think that's where, that's part of, for me, where my trust came into place you know, and things like that. And I, I became a bit more guarded because it's really easy to adopt that attitude of this is who I am, love it or take it. Well, I don't want to love it and I don't want to take it, but you're going to continue to do it. So how is that fair? And then, you, you know, you start to run the gambit of you know, why are we friends or why are we in this situation? Or if it's fair for them, why am I not doing it? And does that make me different because I care more or should I care less? And it's like it opens up that whole can of worms. So for me, I try to be very astute and very careful with what I say. And that's not like I'm pre-programmed. I just, I wouldn't want to be a catalyst for anyone to feel worse. than they, I already know that we're all going through our own individual battles. And if I say something that just tailspins you, I, it, it, it wrecks me. I mean, it just hurts my heart to do that. So, 
it happens though, right? Yeah. Like that's yeah. the shitty thing is that I mean, even however consciously you move through life and choose your words and yeah. you know, respond appropriately in regards to the, whatever the situation may be, undoubtedly you're going to say something wrong yeah. or not even knowing it, you're going to say something that triggers somebody. I remember this like was long, I was a teenager, I was in high school and we were all having this open conversation about stuff. I don't remember what we were talking about. But I made this comment to somebody, or because it was a group of people sitting there and talking, and I made this comment that Jesus was a bastard because I was looking at it and I was young and I was yeah. stupid. You know, I think I was like 15 or 16 years old, but like from the very technical aspect of it, like if we think about the Christianity and the way that they tell the story yeah. of the divine um, birth and the conception and everything like that. So Mary, who gave birth to Jesus, yeah. technically was not married to God. She was married to Joseph or whatever. Yeah. So if we look at it from that perspective, Jesus was so a bastard. logistics. Exactly. Yeah. And that was the perspective I was coming from. Okay. And pretty much as soon as I had said it, this girl gets up from the table sobbing and crying and leaves. Uh because I had offended her so greatly, so much, right? That I, okay. you know, and I I was young and stupid yeah. and couldn't take into consideration. Because for me, I'm like, I'm, I'm not being a dick. Yeah, but I'm you, not wrong. Yeah, like I'm just logistically, like if we look at the definition of bastard and we look <laughs> at Jesus, yeah. it lines up, it correlates. And, um, you know, it took me a long time to move throughout life in such a way to where I really took into consideration some of the uh, massive impact that my words could have. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? That's like three words. Jesus is a bastard. Yeah. And that poor girl was devastated for a day or two. Like it was very, very hard for her. Okay. You know, I would never want to do that. I I don't want to hurt people. I feel like at the core of who I am, I'm a good guy and I'm nice. Well, and you're still talking about it now. So, (laughs) so, but even the impact now Mm -hmm. on yourself. Exactly. She's probably fine. She She probably forgot about all of it. You made, you might've made her more Christian. (laughs) <laughs> or maybe she walked away. I don't know. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I could have solidified her faith yeah, right there. Yeah. Who knows? Yeah. Who knows? You'll know at the end of days, right? <laughs> <laughs> but I don't think, uh, I don't think we really ever, a lot of people don't consciously think about their words. No. Uh, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Where we just throw things out there super fast and respond as opposed to, not, not respond, react. Yeah. As opposed to kind of take a minute. Reaction's key. Mm-hmm. Reaction's key. And I think that's, well, see, it's funny for me. I tattooed patients across my chest. I forgot I was going to bring this up yeah. because I heard about, I don't remember what episode it was that you mentioned that. Oh, God. I have patients on my back. Oh, well, okay. So this is, maybe there's even more reason than why, why we're recording this <laughs> yeah. right now. See, I did it because I thought it was, I was like, oh, okay, this is my lesson for... You know, for for me, I need to be patient in all things. I'm going to wake up every morning and look in the mirror, and I'm going to be the most patient person from... And here's my post-it note that is permanent on my body. And then what I realized years later, oh, shit, that's for other people to be patient with me. And I'm... Slowly but surely, as the years passed, I'm trying to adopt that. So it's the reaction. Yeah, but I, I don't know. I wouldn't say that my feathers get ruffled easily, but you know that there are people out there and we witness them every day who thirst on that reaction. And that's where I think that's where I have, I don't know, not like an advocate for the weak by any means, but more of if there was a way I could stop that, if there was a way that I could help more understanding, I think that's why I'm, why I'm trying to live the life that I'm, that I'm living and I'm trying to be more patient 
with the way that I converse, with the way that I, just everything. I mean, maybe a slower hug, maybe a little softer pace when I'm walking down the hallway with a coworker. You know what I mean? Maybe I'm not as quick to wave my hands when someone's speaking. I don't want to distract from anybody with what they're trying to present. Because we, you know, you hear a lot about, and especially more and more, and even these, this past year, you know, I don't want to talk politics or anything, but the acceptance of living in a cynical world seems to be more common. And I would like to be on the opposite of that, where I think maybe the world's always been cynical. It just, it's the, the derivative of where you're at now. And for me, I don't see it as cynical. I think it's the best time we've ever lived. It's the most advanced we've ever been. And I choose to live in a belief that regardless of outside impression, I have major control on my circle. So if I go home, like let's say I go home today and I'm just foul, just in a foul, foul mood, I bring that into my environment. But if I'm conscious about how I feel, or at least the words that I choose, I can almost gear their reaction. So I, those words trigger me, the, the reaction and the, and the conversation, those things. Because, yeah, I mean, things slip. And, and I still say stupid shit yeah. where I'm like, oh, why did you, you've listened to the podcast. <laughs> I've said some really, really stupid things where I'm like, oh, and the, which is why I probably don't go back and listen to them. Because yeah. I'm like, I don't want to remember that I listened to them. But uh, I, I have a feeling that maybe it's just, just personal. I carry that deeper. That means that much more to me. So, and maybe it's still just me getting over being guarded or being getting, you know, getting over not trusting or what have you. I mean, we all have excuses, right? Mm -hmm. But for me, I'm just trying to shatter those walls. I'm just trying to focus on that outcome of if I live a certain way or I do something in a certain way, where, where's that going to take me? You know, I don't want to hurt anybody. Now, if someone's wrong, you know, I'm going to stand up for what I believe in and, and I'll fight as much as I possibly can. To and what I, end though? Because I think about I think about that sometimes in regards to like activism, right? Yeah. Like we're gonna speak up for the the people that need speaking up for and we're gonna for the little guy or for whatever dynamic or group or whatever thing that we think um, needs speaking up for. Yeah. Um do I think that there's times throughout history where that type of expression or that type of like grassroots movement or that type of thing where people have do you know what I mean? Taking up arms in a sense against yeah. some sort of oppression or some sort of group. I think, I mean, for example, in our lifetime, we've seen gay marriage suddenly, yeah. you know, I mean, that's an example I think that probably has played out to where people stood up against that for a very, very long time yeah. or, or not against that, but in opponents of that. Yeah. And now we're at a point in society, at least here in the, in the United States where it's uh, legal. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Even though it may not and be. what a fight that was. Yeah. But I think that, I think that's the rarity. I think that that's probably, yeah. do you know what I mean? That's like the, uh, like the albino, uh, white deer that nobody ever sees. I don't think that yeah, happens all too often. From. I think all too often what happens is that it doesn't really matter that the things that we choose to get behind and be advocates for yeah. doesn't really affect change. Oh, I think a... it's things that we just distract ourselves with. Yeah, I, I mean, I, that's part of it. Um, it's like a double-edged sword, right? If, 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 you, if you're not distracted by it, you're not going to be vested. Mm -hmm. So if it doesn't catch your interest, you're, you're not going to do anything. You're not going to shuffle your feet. But to answer your question, to what end? I don't know if there is an end. 
I mean, I, if, if you're not willing to go all the way into something that you believe in, you don't really have any, you really shouldn't be believing it then. You, you really shouldn't even be speaking on it. Now, I'm not saying, you know, don't be a learned person about many different things. But if you're going to get behind a cause, or you're really going to make the, the absolute decision to, to fight for the little guy, why would you stop? See, this is my, like, this is the way I look at it. Because I think there's this, like, belief, I suppose, or this this thing that gets passed around in the realm of spirituality and the new age community where people yeah. want to raise the vibration of the planet. We want to help the earth and we want to help mother nature and we want to help all the beautiful light beings that exist here in this realm. And we want to raise the vibration of the planet. Okay. And we do things, you know, like there'll be huge group meditations on a local level, on a massive worldwide level, all with the sole purpose of raising the vibration of the planet. And, and then at the same time, they kind of tout the idea and concept that the best way to help the vibration of the planet or to help your fellow man or to help, you know, evolution of humanity evolve. I don't think evolution of humanity evolve. I get you. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the best way to go about doing that is simply raise your own vibration. Oh, okay. So it's like we always look at the big scale, but then at the end of the day, we're like, but what's really important is what you do individually. And I think we do that as people yeah. where we have that concept and idea where I want to help all of these people and I invest all this time and energy, but then I always bring it back to my selfish self where I am only concerned about me and my my own shit of life and what okay. I'm going through. Okay. Do you know what I mean? I do. I do. I, I, I think that that's... Okay, so the second half of that comment then, I think part of that is going to be you were going into doing something in a selfish manner anyway. Because if, if you're, if you're responsive, I'm, I'm trying to do something positive so I can get something positive out of it. Now that's all good and dandy. But if you're going in it to help someone to eventually help yourself, then I don't even know if you call that being an advocate or being of service. But I am a big believer that one can change more than many. I mean, you talk about raising the vibration and you talk about being a change as, as a unification of energy. Now that's great because that's a movement. But say, okay, we're in a room with a hundred different people and the whole goal with a hundred different people is to be on the same energy wavelength. We, we want to fill this room. We all want to feel like, let's say we all want to feel the color orange. And so that's, that's what we're going to meditate on. That's what we're going to search for. And that's our goal in this room. But you have the one person that's like, fuck, I don't want to think about orange. I want to think about purple then does that mean that the entire room then cannot feel the orange? I think where I come with that is it's always that one voice. You always hear about that one person being the change. And it's usually the person that doesn't even think that they're doing it. It's the person that's just living the life to begin with. They saw something bad happening and they decided to react. Or they, they saw something or someone that was being oppressed and that one person decided to do something. I believe in movements. And I think organizations can make change. I mean, look at Susan G. Komen. Look at all the cancer research and things. And these are foundations that started from an idea. But the basis, it, it all comes back to the individual, which is kind of what we were talking about in the beginning. If I'm conscious of what I'm doing and I'm trying to give that to those around me, then of course that will, that, that will impact me because I hope that's what I get, what I get back. But I don't, I don't do it to reap a benefit from somebody else. Like, I, I just don't, I don't see, I, I believe in movements. I don't know if I believe in walkouts. 
And I don't, I don't know if I believe in big rally marches. I think it's great for Fox News, you know, for NBC. <laughs> I, th- I think that that makes good coverage. But if 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 that group is not going to continue to take that mentality and do that every single day, then it's like, why don't you just go to the farmer's market and eat green for a day? I mean, and I don't want to make it trivial because I I know a lot of great people who take part of those things, Mm -hmm. you know, and they really believe they're doing something. And that's great because as an individual, then they are being the one person, you know, it's the old song and I don't remember the name of it, but it's, I am one voice and I am singing, you know, you walk into a room full of shitty people and you're still smiling. Eventually that's going to trickle down. You know, eventually it's like that giant game of phone booth. And at the very, very end, someone's going to be grinning and somewhere in the middle is going to catch that grin. It's an infectious. So I, I, I guess it just, for me, it completely boils down to the individual. You know, I think we can, we can make it or we can break it. You know, if I come in here to work tomorrow and I'm just a wrecking ball and I decide to just rip this company to shreds, then it's going to happen. But if I come in tomorrow and I'm like, no, we're going to increase this by 5% today and this is how, then I'm pretty sure that's going to happen. Yeah. Uh, Does it need, do I need a whole group to get behind me? That'd be nice. You know, in a relative world, I think that'd be beneficial. But I I believe in the power of one. I got a big concept or a big challenge for you. Okay. I'm liking these challenges because my last one was (laughs) no. (laughs) It was easy. It was just a simple two-letter word, no. Okay, man. What is it? Oh, I was going to, we have to pay homage to the uh, chain train. Yeah. It's uh, Gombe. Gombe. I'm, you know, I'm really happy you said that. But we are at the table. Yes. I like it. And it's fucking Jameson. We are making Gombe t-shirts. You don't like Jamie? Oh, it's not my favorite. Really? Yeah. It's not bad by any means. Okay. Like if I had to, you know, you line them up, I, I wouldn't mind choosing it. Yeah. But it's not my favorite. What's your poison? <sighs> if I'm doing shots, it's got to be tequila. Oh, see. I get white girl drunk off tequila. And so I just, I have to stay away from it. It's the Mexican in me. Oh, okay. And so if we're doing shots, it's, but it's good tequila. Like, okay. Do you know what I mean? Patron. Yeah. Patron, that's about the only thing I can shoot anymore. Yeah. Um, Everything else is like ugly white girl drunk. Yeah. Not, <laughs> not, not the kind you want to take. Well, the kind you take home at three in the morning that has to leave by five. There you go. Yeah. Wow, I sell myself really well. Don't I? <laughs> yeah. See, I'm Irish. So this tends to, uh. It's not bad. It tends to hit. Yeah, when it comes to whiskey, it's not bad. Yeah. I went to corn on Friday. Did you? Yeah, and we were drinking uh, Jim Beam, and I've never been so angry at liquor in my life. It's just just like, it's not even piss water. It's just like you're drinking kerosene, and I don't understand how they can even sell it and make the money. So we've got three teenage girls, right? And one of them, uh, I don't remember when or what, but it was after the corn concert and we were driving home. I was giving her a ride somewhere because I feel like that's all I do a lot of times is yeah. shuttle kids around. But <laughs> I bought mine a car. Yeah. Yeah. I finally had to. She's, she's, she'll be old enough soon, but, um, she was like, oh, I really wanted to go to the corn concert. And I had this moment where I'm like, like, I remember corn when yeah. they became this thing. Like, do you know what I mean? I remember yeah. when they, and I'm like, oh my God, I can't believe that. Because I, I wasn't a huge fan of them back in the day. There were some other songs I liked and everything like that. But I'm not, yeah. you know, by no means am I a big fan. Were we circa 1994? Yeah. Like, it's a long time ago. <laughs> and my damn 15-year-old daughter in 2017 is, like, wanting to go to a corn concert. And yeah. Like, yeah, there's no way in hell you're going to ever. She's she's dying to go to a concert. Okay. But it's not going to be corn. No, no. It's not going to be her first concert. No, no. Oh, God. Mine was Chris Ledoux. 
Yeah. Yeah. I was, you know, born and raised in Idaho. So what do you do? Yeah. You're, you're Chris Ledoin. My first real one where I was like, I'm taking myself. Wait for it. Boys to men. And then uh, Arrested Development opened up for me. Remember Tennessee? Tennessee. Oh, God. I thought it That's was just... That's a good concert. Boys yeah. to Men and Arrested Development. Uh, yeah. I, t I took a girl named Candy Carter, which was... Uh, that's a funny little story. I'll t I'll t here's a funny one. This is just a little, little side note. My birth mother had an affair with another gentleman with the same last name. Had a sister. So, you know, she got pregnant, had a baby. Had a sister that I didn't know of that I didn't meet till high school. I hung out with her brother, who was my friend. Um, he came over to a house we were at, and he said, why the fuck does my sister have a picture of you in her drawer? <laughs> and I'm all, oh, shit. I, I, don't, I don't know your, your sister's my sister. And so it was like I pull up in my uh, 78 Camaro, meet my sister in front of a whole group of partied people, and it was just like, oh, my God. Was it Candy? No, no. Okay. No, but Candy's married to him now. Okay. That, yeah. Weird, weird side little rabbit hole tangent. Well, that's, but, that's Idaho for you. That's small town. It is. That is very small town. Yeah. yeah. I grew up in a small town, so I can relate. Where'd you grow up? Grantsville. Oh. Here in Utah. Okay. It's podunk, podunk. Yeah, so you get it. One stoplight. At least it's not the armpit of Utah. No. That's pretty much Pocatello. <laughs> and we talk a lot of shit on Pocatello during the podcast, so. I like small town, though. Yeah. Like, uh, and my kids are going through it now where they hate being in a small town. All they want to do is get out. And I remember very well what that was like. Yeah. Um, but I eventually moved back. I eventually brought my family back to the small town because, um, I enjoy it. You yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, I think it's a great place to raise a family. It's a great place to grow up. I don't know if I could do it. You don't think so? No, no, no. I think after I, after the TV show and everything else, we caused a small little uh, riot in a city council meeting. <laughs> was not good. My uh, TV station was in the same building as the police station and the city council. And we got to the point to where we would do things on live TV. Uh, if you had had a ticket um, and you thought it was frivolous, uh, go ahead and call in or bring it down to the station and we'll talk about the cop on live air. We'll talk about the ticket. What's I'm just everything. It got bad, and the next day I got pulled over after we did that episode seventeen times without a ticket. Keep in really? mind, without a ticket. So the last the last time that ended that evening, he followed me home up a hill into, and I was living with my grandparents at the time, up the hill into my driveway, and then flipped the lights on. Small town. They were all friends with my dad. You know, city attorneys, like, mm -hmm. please tell your son to stop saying the F word on live television. <laughs> like, this is not good. And here I am. I'm like, yeah, fucking rebel youth. You know what I mean? Let's play suicidal tendencies. And I'm going to put some Megadeth on and, you know, whatever else. So I tried to do everything I possibly could to buck the system. But when I got out of, and even when I go back now, it's just like, there's part of me that, like, I love it because that's my roots. But I cringe. I just, I just cringe. It's like I need a scotch before I before I go say hi to anybody. See, I love it. Yeah. Like, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's me. Because, like, I've got two older brothers. They don't live there anymore. Okay. And I've got plenty of friends that are like, hell no, I'm not moving back there. Yeah. So I don't know what it is, but I love it. Like, I still see, you know, people that I grew up with, people that, yeah. adults that were adults when I was a kid. I, I mean, I, I love it all. It doesn't bother me in the slightest. See, Salt Lake's uh, perfect for me. It's like the perfect size. And yeah. I could even go bigger. I couldn't do Chicago. Like, I didn't see myself living in, like, Chicago or New York. But I could do Phoenix, San Diego, 
a little bit bigger. I attempted to move to Portland a bunch. I think that was the inner hippie in me that was like, <laughs> I'm going to go to Mecca and that's where I'm going to be. So, well, first it was Eugene. I ended up hanging out with the Rainbow family a few times, which that's really, just, oh my God. That's yeah. like diving deep into the realm of uh, hemp and yeah. dreadlocks. and yeah. Yeah. Though I never had dreadies, wore the shit out of some hemp, though. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was a proud hemp wearer. Yeah, we, uh, um, I was at the end of my shift, my friends pulled up and they were like, we're going to go to Oregon tonight. And I was like, okay, that's like an 11 hour drive. So we'll be there in the morning. And I was like, I have $1. It's only I had to my name. And they were like, okay, well, we got everything. Just hop in the back of the car. And we went to, uh, we drove, we got there, we went to Eugene. And uh, it's Cougar Reservoir just outside of Eugene, and that's where the Rainbow family was. And so we ended up just parking and walking around. There's thousands and thousands of people, but like the sweetest granolas you would ever mm-hmm. meet, just kind, kind people. And we ended up at a camp, and we were attracted to it because there was a band that was playing, and uh, they had re- redone an old school bus and put a like a stout sound stage up on top of it where a band could perform and everything else. And so we're just in the moment and everything else. And this really, really cute hippie sat next to me. And she's like, here, take a drink. And, you know, what do you do? You don't want to be rude. And then you realize you took a drink and there's chunks inside of what you're drinking. And then you're just like, ah, I'm going to be here for probably the next 14 or <laughs> 15 hours looking at your face. So. I, I remember skipping up and down the road. That's about all I remember. I remember some, yeah, a, well, a cover band playing all along the Watchtower. Those are like the two things that I remember. <laughs> and I might have like gone from, I don't need to live in Eugene. I'm just going to go to Portland. Yeah. A sophisticated hippie, if you will. So <laughs> I had graduated after that. Yeah. <laughs> here, drink this. I, I won't story. do that from here on out. Yeah. No. Yeah. If there's chunks, it, you don't drink it. Not at the so. Rainbow Family Festival. No, Definitely no. Not. I was happy. I came back with both my kidneys, so I feel like it's a win. As far as you know. Yeah. Yeah, shit. That's where that <laughs> scars. Oh, damn it. Yeah. So. You had a challenge. I did have a challenge for you. And now I'm trying to rack my brain and remember how I was. I remember what it is, but I'm trying to remember the con, or the uh, conversation that led to it. Okay. Um, we were talking about like activism and raising your vibration, uh, as opposed to, you know, that's the best way to help the planet and all these kind of different things. I think, and this is, I think there's a difference between if I were to make a statement and say, this is what I think, and this is what I believe. I think those are two different things. I think, uh, I think a thought or what I think is a belief that's evolving. Where I like that. It hasn't solidified into a full belief necessarily. It's um, it's just a thought. It's something that I'm throwing around in the space of my head and in my life, and I'm sitting with it. Okay. And eventually, it solidifies into a belief. But I also think those two things are interchangeable. I think beliefs also can kind of de-solidify back into a thought. Oh yeah. Because you continue to evolve and mature and get more information and all that kind of stuff. Um. So that's the caveat. Okay. But uh, this is my thought that if we were to look at it from like a uh, definition point of view, like with Jesus as a bastard, just the straight up uh, dynamic of a definition of this. Okay. I think that all action or all choice or all things that we do in this life are selfish. I think at the core of them, huh. the, the, the derivative of what it is is selfish. 
uh, some things are really easy to see that way. Some things are really easy to see in regards to like, I'm just going to choose to do whatever it may be Okay. because it makes me feel good. It's the, you know, it's my choice. I'm going to do that. And then I think the ones that are harder to see, the more subtle ones are the times where we feel like we are doing something for the benefit of another, where we feel like we're helping somebody else. Oh, okay. And I think the reason that that is a selfish act, I don't think it's bad in any way, shape, or form. Like yeah. you have to separate the connotation that being selfish is a negative thing. I don't think it is at all. But I think the reason why those actions and those things are selfish when we help other people or when we do something completely selfless yeah, is because we walk away with a feeling. Like if you can go back and think uh, about everything that you've ever done in life when you've helped somebody, yeah, um, you feel good yeah, after the fact. Yeah, I mean, if charity hurt, you wouldn't do it. Right. right? You come away from that experience feeling good. It raises your vibration. Okay. It makes you feel better about not just what you just did and how you just helped that person, but there's always, I think, and even... And maybe it's me, but I don't think it's me. I think even like in the quietest parts of your mind, there's always that part of yourself that's like, oh, I'm a good person. I just did a good thing. Like yeah. you pat yourself on your back slightly. I don't think there's truly somebody out there that's like 100% selfless. I think that we always have some sense of selfishness behind all action. But I don't think it's bad. No. No, that's a really good point. And it's a really good talking point too. Because... You, you've kind of got, well, at least in my opinion, you've got two folds. If you take a, a Christian ideology, right, um, you should be selfless, and that should be your actions. Um, if you take just a humanistic point, then you're right. Everything that we do do is selfish because it's self-serving. I mean, how I look at it like those are just words. That, that, that's like a jumble of, of, of letters that we put to describe a thing. So you say the word selfish, and suddenly some people are triggered or some are not triggered. And that's your explanation to explain action of why people do things. Uh, for me, I think people just do. I don't know if it's selfish or not selfish. Now, you can choose to do something that impacts somebody negatively. Like, let's take a murderer. You know, that, that, that's an incredibly negative act that they chose to do. But like I said earlier, if charity was painful, you wouldn't do it. As far as selfish, I think we're all self-serving. And I think even inside of good deeds are self-serving. Because, I mean, like I just said, if, if it didn't feel good, you wouldn't do it. But if imagine in a world if you didn't get any any good feeling from anything. I mean, why would you do anything? I mean, we have to move, we have to breathe, we have to function. And in today's society, we have to work because we have to afford the, the gas, the car, the, the roof over our head, the food for our bellies. So we have to do something. Is that selfish or is that just existing then? I mean, I guess maybe that's my question for you because I can see where you're coming from. And I think that's a pretty damn, you're pretty right on there as far as a stance. I just... It, it's a word, right? And so maybe I got a bit triggered with the word of, of saying selfish. What I, triggers you about it, though? What does it make you think? Well, because when I think of selfish, I think <laughs> of like what we talked about earlier with someone who's, okay, you're choosing to word, use your words in a negative way. I think that's selfish. You're taking away from the conversation that could be beneficial to choose to make it a negative for your own gain. If you're doing something for your own gain that impedes somebody else, that's what I see as selfish. Everything else in, outside of that is living. 
And I, I kind of chalk it up to circumstance. So I think that's where the triggered comes from. Is there any part of you that like went to that space where you thought of somebody or some relationship or some dynamic where somebody in your mind was very, very selfish and you suffered because of that selfishness? Yeah. So you had hesitation in regards to kind of thinking, because I think anytime we're triggered, right? Anytime we have something that comes up, um, we always think about what we don't want to be. And yeah. I, you know, do you know what I mean? Like, I'm not selfish. Like, I, you know, oh, I, I okay. hate selfish people. I, I guess I did react that way. I, mean? I yeah. don't, I don't, uh, I don't do anything that's selfish. And yeah, I might have those little bits of pieces here and there, but I'm, I'm a very nice, kind person and I'm not going to put myself before other people. Yeah. And well, see, so, you know, I think that's bullshit too, because we all do. Mm-hmm. I mean, we all do. And I'm not saying I'm some martyr over here. Like, I'm not some Mr. I'm not the best guy that's ever walked this earth by any means. And there are things I do for my own gain. And I do those on purpose. I mean, I even look at my work career. I'm not going to step on somebody. But you bet your ass I'm going to be the first person to step up and do something because it's going to benefit me. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I think maybe I am a bit triggered based on past experiences. Because it's easy to think of somebody that you looked at that you defined or classified as somebody in your life that was very, very selfish. Yeah. Because you feel, you know, rejected by them or hurt by them or uh, some sort of like. um, When you know it's intentional. Yes. That's when it hurts. But think about that. Think about intentional. Yeah. Think about your life and the times, because everybody has had periods of times where they were intentionally selfish. Yeah. And to the detriment of others. Yeah. And in that space, when you were intentionally selfish and it hurt other people and there was a part of you that didn't give a fuck and yeah. continued to be selfish, what were you feeling in that space? Oh. Like for me, I have mm. periods of time where I could go back and really remember like terrible times in my life that I'm very much uh, ashamed of Yeah, where I was selfish by the, def- you know, the way that we would define it in society and to the detriment of people that I loved and cared about, but I was fucked up. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I wasn't in a good space in any way, shape or form. Okay. If you would dive deeper then. But w- so y- you'll admit that you were self- in a- selfish in a scenario mm-hmm. and you impacted somebody else, but you were fucked up. Yes. So is that an excuse? So that's because we talked earlier about how I'll play that game in my head where, yeah. I, you know, this is just me and I'm, I have to accept my faults and my, you know, I don't think it's just an excuse. I think it's a, a recognition okay. of I made selfish decisions and choices that affected people that I loved greatly and negatively. Okay. Um, but I didn't do that from the space of like you know, maniacally sitting there planning and plotting of like, <laughs> yeah. ha, 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 I'm going yeah. to selfishly choose this action because it's going to affect somebody. It came from a place of pain and suffering on my part. Okay. And the adverse reaction of that was, you know, pain and suffering on their part. And so there's one way to look at it where it's very uh, selfish. And there's people that would look at it from the outside and say, yeah, that's a dick. Like that guy's an asshole. He's being okay. very selfish and he's making decisions about just what he wants and not caring about the consequences of the people around him. Um, But that's not the space that I was in. Okay. It wasn't me thinking of like, I'm just going to choose whatever I want it to do. Yeah. And I don't give a shit about the people around me. You're not being malicious. No, it was very much just a space of chaos. Okay. Okay. So now that makes sense. And that's, 
for me, that's when I, I truly start to admire even more the, the human persona. Those kind of comments and those kind of, of life spaces, if you will, those modes that people go through, that's like you're, you're in it. Mm -hmm. You're in it. And that's when I marvel people because I want to know what got you into that and what got you out of that. Like the, the human condition, it just absolutely mystifies me. So for you to admit, like first I appreciate you admitting that to me and even sharing that because I think that's amazing because that makes you more, well, you're more accountable and you're probably well more aware now of that and when you're doing it that you than you were then. Mm -hmm. I, I've done that quite a few times and it's come out of being in a dark space that you just react in, in a negative way because that chaos is inside of you. But see, then you have massive resistance to describing or even thinking about yourself as a selfish person. Yeah. yeah. Do you yeah. know what I mean? So then you uh, have to look yeah. at the people in your life that you would define as, and selfish, I don't even think, because we're getting way more convoluted and deeper than just like selfish to me seems surface. Yeah. Like we're talking way deep fucking... <laughs> levels of selfishness. Well, no, but I like that though, because if we could just say that selfish is a word, mm -hmm. right? That's it like, is. That's it's like, just a word to describe something. It, it's just a word. And that's what someone came up with. And that's it. So if we yeah. let go of the label, we're talking about the emotions now. Exactly. And I think of when I think about people in my life that I would describe as selfish or displaying that type of behavior and that I in turn reacted as like hurt from that, re you know what I mean? Hurt from that yeah. dynamic and their, and their, um, at the time, seemingly like they were choosing that over me yeah. or over my feelings or over my uh, wants or needs. Okay. Um, then you you build some resistance in that space. Okay. Someone so, even say it's jaded. Yeah. And so then I so then I had to flip it and look at because I can very specifically look at times in my life where I did the exact same thing. And like okay. I said, like in, during those time periods, I was not in a good space. It was much chaos, just, you know, overflowing, like craziness inside my head and in my space and all that kind of stuff. So of course it was going to come out. Exactly. And so I can't judge that person. I can't, you know, the person from my past or the person that I would look at or, you know, kind of choose to do, like, like I said, when I, when I pose that question or that thought or challenging with that idea. Yeah. My guess is, like I said, you probably went to somebody in your life, like you talked about your mom, yeah. who uh, was incarcerated for most of your childhood and everything like that. Yeah. And I'm sure that there were time periods in your life where you went through the process of thinking, like, why the fuck did she make those decisions yeah. that led to those actions? And why didn't she love me enough? Why didn't she choose otherwise? Like, there's an aspect of it, like she was being selfish because she chose that, whatever it may be, instead of choosing I can see me. Where you're going. Yeah. You know what I mean? So you build some resistance to that. But then if we look at your mom from the outside, bless her heart, she's probably broken and full of chaos. See, I'm really happy you said that. It's actually something that recently has really hit home for me. I had the realization of I never acknowledged the pain that she was in mm -hmm. for a long, long, long time. I thought that it was my fault. And you start to absorb the condition of like everything that happened to me was my fault. So it had to happen. And you're almost doing the people, whether it's negative or positive, you're doing them a disservice because you're not acknowledging the pain that they went through. And I couldn't imagine the pain that she was in to put herself in those choices. And so acknowledging that, and it's even recent, and you know, I'm, I'm 40 this, you know, this year. So that's a lot of years of carrying that, that I've, I've stuffed down, I've carried and I've carried and 
God knows that's impacted a lot of decisions in my life and probably even relationships. Hell, probably even, you know, relationships with females because of trust and things that stem back. Not probably, definitely. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I'm trying to be nice to myself. I'm like, hmm, probably. No, that never happened. There might be a slight chance. Yeah, didn't I say it was Mufasa? And I, I believe in rainbows when we came in and all that shit. But it, it was until recently I acknowledged, like, the amount of pain that she was in had to be even greater than the amount of pain that it caused me. And in, in that brief moment where I allowed that to happen, and I even had the thought, it was gone. And now I'm not even, now there's not even any anger. It, it just is. It just is what happened. So, I mean, three weeks ago, I went back home to try to see her. She stood me up, but I tried to see her. And it made me feel very good because it was like I was, well, we talked about earlier, the how big of a dick can you be to yourself? You know, mm -hmm. I mean, when you get out of the shower and you look in the mirror, I'm trying really hard to stop being a dick to myself. And a lot of that has to come from forgiving myself for thinking that all those things had to be about me. Acknowledging the ego, really, for lack yeah. of better terms, it's just acknowledging my own ego. And, and it's like shutting the ego down. How did you... How did you process or feel about her um, standing you up? Um, I sat at the bar. I did the same thing that she did that got her in trouble. Oh, fuck, isn't that frustrating? Yeah, and I actually got really mad at myself the next day when I because got Because of that behavior, right? Yeah I, yeah, I I used it as a coping mechanism. But in the moment, I was like, oh, just have another scotch. I'm just going to sit and relax. And so this well, is going to help with the anger. Okay, I think that's huge because... Yeah. You're a wise man. You've had 40 years of life to process and you've evolved massively. Yeah. And then when you're faced with massive amounts of adversity like and, emo and emotional pain, you immediately revert back to um, the norm. Yeah. And I think that, uh, I mean, I, I think it's fascinating. And I mean, kudos to you because the fact is, I think everybody does that in yeah. whatever their do you know what I mean? Whatever their way of processing through pain and suffering and trauma and emotional distress yeah. is, we always, always, always revert back to it in some way, shape, or form. It was comfortable. It was comfortable. And I didn't, we talk about it now, mm -hmm. and now I'm like, oh, that, I did the same thing. I did the same thing that I was angry about. Don't beat yourself up for it. No, though. no, no. No, and I'm not being myself up. I, I'm saying that with a smile now because mm -hmm. it makes, I wasn't angry when I was doing it, but... Mm -hmm. I did give myself a coping mechanism. I don't think I could have just sat there and waited all day. Now, I don't know. I mean, if I go do it again and attempt to again, I don't know what's going to happen. I might be in the same scenario. I might doing. I might do something different. But it there was a void that I was trying to fill that I was hoping another human being could have filled. And at that moment, I went for a coping mechanism. It, it was like I was using a scotch to tell me everything was okay. Did you process it all? Um, the space that she could have been in. Because granted, we don't know. Yeah. We're speculating, right? And maybe yeah. you have more information after the fact and you've had a chance to communicate with her or something like that. But my guess is um, when you take somebody that's incredibly emotionally um, stunted yeah, and hasn't had the opportunity to really process, feel, learn how to deal with emotion and then is faced with overwhelming uh, waves of guilt and shame and remorse... Yeah. Do you know what I mean? She's going to try to sit down and have some sort of conversation or interaction with her son who she probably looks at as she failed throughout her entire life. Yeah. Um, 
you know, just that overwhelming tidal wave of shit that she had to kind of process and deal with. Of course, she's not going to be able to because she doesn't have the skill set to do so. Yeah. Incredible amounts of things she'd have to get over. Mm -hmm. See, and that's for me that that was the that was the biggest way that I knew I could meet her. I, I convinced myself that I wasn't doing it for me. I was, I wanted to give her closure because mm -hmm. the last that I know that she's, I mean, she could have passed away already. I don't know. She was full liver failure and everything else. And which is even more ironic than I ordered another scotch. <laughs> um, I, I told myself, I want to give her closure. And so I want to see her so I can just tell her and give her a hug and say, look, that I'm, I'm good. Regardless of what happened, I'm good. I'm fully functioning. I'm not, you know what I mean? I'm not just a loafer or living in a park right now. Like I found a way to compile my life and move on and grow and and just adapt and live in this mortal plane. So you didn't fuck up. Did you have a lot of, have you had any, um, like what's your communication been like with her over the past few years? Like to lead up to that point, was it more or less like you reaching out because she is at that point where she's got liver failure and she's going to be passing yeah, away? Or? I never reached out. Um, for some reason, and it was really weird. We talked last time about my surgery and everything and how sick mm -hmm. I was. She, um, she found my address and started writing me letters from prison. The hardest part is these letters weren't for me. They were anger towards my dad. And I think in, in a way, and this is the way that I took her words. I mean, it's just, it's the way that she wrote them. Uh, she used me as a way to get over or to process and to let whatever she was harboring go. So I didn't, I didn't want to, I didn't want to reach out. I didn't, I didn't think that she really wanted a part of me. She just wanted a closure from not being involved in our family. And that's mm -hmm. what the letters were. And I got letter after letter after letter. And then one day they just stopped and I kind of went on with my daily life, but it lingers. You know what I mean? It lingers. You know, you look at your relationships and any relationship I've had with a female, and I wouldn't say that there's trust issues all the time, but there's probably abandonment issues. Not probably. We we just stated <laughs> it. There are abandonment issues. Yeah. You know, and I'm not some some blubbering guy. I mean, I can, you know, I, I'm, I'm mentally aware and mentally tough, and I've been through, through some things that give a benefit of the doubt, but there are some reserved, there, there are reserved feelings that, you know, I mean, as far as like from a female side, I would like, I would like a, a little more of a, an understanding or a little bit more of a patience, I guess. And that probably just stems from, from feeling abandoned and feeling not wanted. So when you get in a relationship, that's probably a bit more toxic than you'd want it to be. It's, I think it's heightened on my side than it is maybe on the other. And I can't expect for, I can't expect my partner to understand that because they didn't live it. But, you know, I, that's just kind of what I carry. So as far as reaching out and everything else, I actually had a, a cousin of hers reach out to me. Good old Facebook. It was just like, I want to let you know this is what's going on with your mom. She's, you know, full liver failure and everything else. And she's pretty much dying. If you want to see her, you should come do it now. And then suddenly it was like, it was all on me. Yeah. It was just like, oh, okay, I've never really reached out. I've never, now I should, right? Like I'm almost 40, I'm an adult, I've got a great career and I've got a kid and she's successful, so maybe I could. 
And then it does make me think of that word selfish because there were selfish things. They were like, I want my own closure. You do. Like you say, yeah. you know, your intention was, I'm going to go and give her the opportunity you are, to You are realize. really good at what you do. You know that, right? Like you are really good. Okay. But it's easy for me to relate because I have similar, you know, experiences and dynamics. And it's like yeah. what we've been talking about the whole time where we all experience the same shit. Yeah. It's got different shades and different, you know, tones at times, but, um, I mean, that thing where you, I mean, initially you said you want to give her the opportunity. She's at this point in her life where you want her to rest easy knowing that yeah. you made it okay. Yeah. That, and you know, you don't. I'm not fucked. Yeah. And you don't hold massive grudge against what she did and what she was. And, yeah. you know, you've made peace with it, even though it may still itch sometimes and you may still struggle at times with it. Yeah. You've made peace with it. Um. But at the end of the day, there's that massive part of you that wants validation from your mom. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Well, you want closure. You want you want her to uh, recognize, like you want recognition yeah. of like, look at the fuck, look, look what I did. No, like, I, do you know what I mean? I wanted that for a long time. Yeah. There was a big part of me that was like, I'm going to write all my accomplishments down <laughs> and I want to send it to you and I want to like title it in spite of, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? So I had all these things that I wanted to do. And that's, that's part of what, you know, what I've been telling you just as we've been talking, if I sent that, I think that would hurt me more than it would make me feel good because that comes from a place of anger and I don't want to carry that shit anymore. You know, I grew up in a, in just a, I mean, that was just commonplace to feel that way, to feel that anger and everything else. And I'm so happy to have the grandparents that I had and they stepped in and did an amazing job and I'm forever grateful. Um, but I did, I, I harbored that for a long time because you look and, you know, you just, you, you watch every movie and you see the classic family and you're like, fuck, I never had that. I wonder what that would be like and everything else. Nobody had that. No, no. And that's why we call it Hollywood, right? Mm -hmm. So you're right. Yeah. Nobody had that. So I did carry, you know, yeah. I, I mean, if I'm going to be honest, there, there was a bit of a chip on my shoulder that I carried for a long time because like, there's a part of me that felt that. And that might have of what got me into loving the Rainbow Family and loving Fish because it was the opposite of carrying a chip. It was the opposite of thinking that the world owes me something. Yeah, I just adopted the ideology of I'm going to live every day, day to day. And one of my favorite old movies is Pump Up the Volume with Christian Slater, <laughs> which is, isn't that just funny? But but so be it is his tagline. And I was just like in high school, I was just like, fuck it, so be it. Everything, yeah. everything was just so be it. And then, you know, now as I get older, the maturity sets in and, and, you know, you put away, I guess, childish thoughts and childish things. And you're like, okay, I, I want to benefit everyone and benefit myself. So it, it was twofold to go see her. It really was. It yeah. was twofold. It's hard. I haven't thought of that. I mean, this is the first time I've really thought of that since I, I came back. I was just pissed. I was pissed I got stood up. Mm -hmm. And then it was just like, and then I got even more pissed because I was like, you just sat at the bar and drank it. I mean, really, you were doing the same thing that you were pissed about. You know what I mean? Yeah. Just the process and everything else. So, so I had a I had a similar experience in the sense of like um, wanting to process uh, and get some closure and some understanding with my father. Mm. Similar in the sense of like the same shades and tones. Vastly different experience. He's not on his deathbed or dying from any sort of illness or anything like that. But um, he contacted me, and this was like two years ago. And when I say contact me, I have contact with my dad. I still have okay. communication with him, everything like that. It's hit and miss, and we go, you know, weeks, months at a time sometimes, but we still maintain contact. 
and um he his aunt he had an aunt that passed away in california where he's from and he wanted uh, me to drive with him so it was going to be a road trip to california to go to the funeral all that kind of stuff and at the time i was uh i wasn't like i was i had the opportunity to do it there wasn't really anything in the way stopping me so you knew you were going well, I made the decision that I was going to go where I was like, okay, I can do this for my dad, right? Because okay. obviously I love him. I have, do you know what I mean? I have compassion for who he is. I feel like I had made peace in my own mind, in my own head in regards to the way that he was as a father and the way that he wasn't as a father and all those kind of different dynamics I've processed over the past, you know, whatever. How old am I? 36. Yeah. 36 years. Old. Super old. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so we go on this big, long road trip to California and there was a point in the road trip where I kind of forced the conversation because I wanted a real conversation. Oh, okay. I wanted a conversation with him about, uh, there, I mean, there were aspects about like, I need to know who you are because I never felt like I really understood who he was. Um, do you know what I mean? I felt like at that point in my life and granted it was only like two years ago, but I felt like I was very um, seated in who I was as a man and as a father and as, you know, I had all these kind of the types of things that we define ourselves as. I felt like very, uh, confident about who that was and a great understanding of who that was. Yeah. But I never felt like I had an understanding about that. Like the only thing that I ever saw him as was my dad. I never saw him as anything else. I never had any understanding of who he was as a, uh, as a man or as a friend to somebody or, I never saw him in any other sort of interaction or dynamic throughout his life. Okay. And so I wanted to have a really good conversation with him. And then on top of that, I wanted to dive deeper into like, um, I, I wanted to have that conversation where it's like you were a piece of shit yeah, and you fucked up a lot as a father and it has affected, it has affected me massively over the course of my life but I've made peace with it and I don't hold any grudge. Okay. And that's a very selfish conversation to want to have because it was really just me inside wanting bits and pieces of closure. And like, if we think about like we think about energy and souls and I like, I wanted those parts of me back Yeah, that I felt like he had damaged or destroyed over the course of my childhood and my, you know, teenage years and things like that. So I wanted that conversation to happen and I tried to force it in the sense of like steering and kind of pushing him into that space where we could have that open position in your words. And he fucking failed miserably. <laughs> he, you had one goal, dad, this entire road trip. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Yeah. He literally could not do it. It wasn't that oh, he okay. lacked the ability or very much he lacked the ability. It's not that he lacked the desire. Uh, I realized after the fact where it was like, he just doesn't have the capacity to go to that space. Oh, okay. So as soon as he would be confronted with emotion, yeah, um, deep-seated, like hard emotion to process, he shuts down. And because we're going to California to uh, a funeral for his aunt, yeah, um, it brings up all these emotions of the uh, death of his mother, right? And that's heavy, heavy stuff for him to process. And so it was very, very easy for me to see like, oh, okay. As soon as he gets anywhere near heavy, deep, like super difficult emotion, yeah, he just stops. 
And it's not because he's an asshole. It's not because he sucks at life or being a dad or a father or a person or a man. He just doesn't have the capacity to do it. He never was shown. It was never taught and he never practiced it. Okay. Okay. So I had to let go of a lot of that and make peace with it. Yeah. I was going to, I was going to ask you, did that help with your, so you had to acknowledge that someone else was not available to do that. Mm -hmm. That it just wasn't in their makeup. Yeah. He just didn't physically have the capacity to do that. Then I want to ask you, how did you stop forcing the issue? Well, like in the literal, we all do, we all do. Like in the literal sense, I mean, what sucked was that like it was probably five or six hours into the drive and we have another, you know, seven or eight hours to go. (laughs) Yeah. Um, but I, I mean, in the literal sense of at the time, I just moved on. Okay. Do you know what I mean? I just transitioned and let him switch and steer the conversation. Okay. As opposed to me trying to steer it towards where I wanted it to go. I just switched and let go and let him talk about what he wanted to talk about. And it took like five minutes before we were fucking past whatever it was, that uncomfortable space that he felt and that I felt and off to whatever. And then after the fact, I really had to, and after the fact, I mean like months, weeks, do you know what I mean? Yeah. After the fact, I really had to uh, recognize like, and put pieces together of my past and understanding him and his dynamics and his childhood and his upbringing. Um, and just realize that he lacked the capacity to be in that space. And I think it's very much a, it's a, uh, it's a skill. It's like anything yeah. else in life that we have to practice and anything else that we practice in life, we have to be shown first. Anything yeah. that we've ever learned, anything that we've ever done, Somebody has shown us how to do it outside of like breathing. I'm so happy you said that. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's, it's a great realization that go ahead and ask for what you want. You're not always going to get the answer that you were expecting. And I, I think if anything, so we talked about at the very beginning that if one person heard something and they carried it with them and it possibly helped and it's beneficial, mm-hmm. right? You right there might have helped whoever out there is looking for that moment because you needed a process. You needed some sort of an acceptance or at least you needed a sounding board of like, look, this is how I felt. This is what I'm still carrying. And frankly, you need to acknowledge this so it can go away. Mm -hmm. You had to realize that that was not going to happen. So the tools... So really, in essence, everything that you needed to succeed was already inside you to begin with. Mm -hmm. You had to allow that to happen. And I think that's amazing. So not only was that that your experience, but that was also amazing advice because how many people, you know, search for validation from others that they know they'll never get it from, but they continue to do it and continue, continue to do it. People that stay in toxic relationships, knowing that they should be out, they continue to do it and continue to do it. And perfect instances like yours or like with my mother's, I was probably looking for something that she couldn't give. She just couldn't offer. Yeah. And I needed her to. What I really needed to do was I just needed to tell myself that's what happened. And this is who I am today. And it sounds like that's what you were able to do. Yeah. I mean, I hope that's what you were able to no, do. No, it's very much so. And I mean, for me, when I look at life in general, and I always, you know, my perspective and my thoughts and my my, my thoughts and my beliefs have changed and evolved so much over the years. Yeah. Um, but I really feel like anything that we experience and go through, 
not necessarily, I mean, I don't take it from just that example or that perspective of like, it's all serves a purpose. I believe very much it serves a purpose. Yeah. But I think that it makes us who we are. It defines, do you know what I mean? It shapes and molds the person that we become. And Incredibly. I'm, I'm okay with the person that I am. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I have peace with it. Granted, there's parts that I, you know, I still practice the practice of being okay completely okay and at yeah. peace with well, who I am. Well, I would hope so. I mean, that's growth, right? Mm-hmm. But I, mean, I don't, I, I don't see you rising right now. I mean, <laughs> like I say, when you, when you become perfect, put that in memo form because I want to yeah. learn how to do yeah. it. Okay. Just make sure like the first couple of calls, I'm just gonna be like, I got it. I It'll got be it. telepathically. Okay. I'll be able to communicate oh, that with you because I will yeah. be at that point, that ascended level. Yeah. I don't have time to read memos anyway. So yeah, if you could do that, that'd be awesome. Yeah. Preferably around like seven or eight in the morning before I have my coffee. <laughs> it's like, I'm like, oh, I got it now. Yeah. Who needs coffee anymore? Oh, well, <laughs> this has been great. Yeah. I, we could do this again. We could not only do this again, we could keep going forever. Yeah. Um, I want to wrap it up. I want to, okay. I like that idea that we're giving somebody to something to think about, ponder something that's yeah. going to stick in the back of their brain. So leave somebody with something, whatever it may be. I'm putting you on the spot and you got to throw out something that. Wow. That's fun. Um, I think the only thing that I can really leave is probably what I'm working on now. And that's finishing my book. Um, I spent a lot of time, uh, thinking that the book title was going to be walk a mile in my shoes. So I looked at life thinking that, um, you'll experience life if you can see it through my, through my eyes, or you'll understand where I'm coming from. If you could put my shoes on and understand where I walked. And now I flipped it and I call it filler. And I truly believe that everyone that we, we have happenstance with from the person across the street that smiled and just for a brief second, it impacted us greatly. Everyone is filler from our children to our gods, to our congregation, to our spouses. Everyone is filler and they are here at a precise moment at our best moment that we've ever been. And that's how I live my life. And that's how I hope people live their life. We have so much impact on everyone daily and greatly that I would hope that people would have a little bit more self-preservation and acknowledge their power because we're great and we were absolutely great as beings. We are great and tremendous and I fight depression and anxiety every day. And what gets me through is just this evolving mindset that I get to be filler for somebody else. It pushes me and drives me. I don't want anyone to walk in my shoes. I really don't. I like my shoes. Yeah. That's good stuff. It's kind of what I want to leave it as. I like it. Yeah. Go be filler. Go be filler. And you're not fighting depression. Yeah. You're practicing life. And that's good. That is awesome. And the last thing, way back when you were talking about your art, you said, I'm not an artist. I just like painting. Yeah. (laughs) Um, You're a fucking artist. Well, thanks, man. And so start referencing and referring and thinking about yourself that way because that's good shit. Oh, you like it. It is. It's good stuff. Thank you. Maybe I'll have you uh, next time we do this, you'll have to analyze that thing because you're really good at this. <laughs> you're really good at this. You're like, I'm like, what what rabbit hole are we going to? Oh, fuck. He's got a, you're, yeah. Not, it's not, you're right. It was just more of, oh. Yeah. Epiphany. Stuff to think about. Yeah, it's good. It's good stuff. Yeah. Everybody go out and have a beautiful, beautiful, wonderful day. I like that. So I was thirsty and looking for something that could, you know, the 
the proverbial two by four to the head, you know, something that just gave me that aha moment. I was happy. I came back with both my kidneys, so I feel like it's a win. I believe in the power of one. I want to be vulnerable enough for people where they can either uh, learn from my mistakes or they can know that I'm open enough that when I give advice, I'm, I'm at least being genuine.